0: This historical timeline is going to be about the Spanish Armada and the Last Crusade. So before we get too far, I want to explain the Last Crusade part. The Spanish Armada won't show up in your normal list of Crusades, but it was in fact a Crusade because Queen Elizabeth had been excommunicated and excommunicated again by Pope Sixtus V. King Philip II was given the right by the Pope to charge a Crusade Tax And Pope Sixtus V was offering over a million crowns if Philip just landed the invasion force on the shore of England. I probably should have led that off with spoiler alert or something, because there was a sinister motive and a force driving the Spanish Armada, and it wasn't the King of Spain. It's the same force that has caused all the wars in European history. So let's dig in and see what that sinister force is. I decided to start this timeline in the early 1400s because the Gutenberg press was kind of pivotal to the lead up of the Protestant Reformation. And without it, you don't have Protestantism. But of course, the Gutenberg press was suppressed by the Catholic Church in order to suppress knowledge. Then, in 1417, the papal schism ends. So what the schism was, was a fracturing of the papal system. So at its high point, the papal system had three popes at the same time. This was a problem for loyal Catholics because they didn't know which one to listen to because the one you wanted to listen to was the one that would last. Also, I'm going to note that Sometime in the 1400s, it's not clear exactly when, but the popes began using the title Pontifex Maximus. This title was initially from Pergamon and came through to Julius Caesar. Uh, When the last king died in Pergamon, he said, hey, you can have this title and my lands, but for now, just leave me alone and I'll just be a tributary state. So when he died, the land went to Rome and... The title Pontifex Maximus, which some say means high priest, or the they say the literal uh, translation is bridge builder, but it's a, it's the idea of the highest priest of the land, and how that um, meshes with the priest and the bridge is that this priest would be the bridge to God. So if you know anything about Pergamon, the city in Pergamon, Pergamus is said to be. The throne of satan and it's kind of odd that the vatican would want a title that came from and originated from or the city that was the throne of satan but back to caesar he was the first caesar of rome to use the title and it was used through until the 300s but more on that will be revealed in a future historical timeline Then we'll skip ahead to October 12th, 1492, when some dude sailed the ocean blue. Yes, so we are at Christopher Columbus crossing the Atlantic Ocean and discovering the West Indies. Um, This creates a problem because Portugal and Spain were vying for control and developing their empires, but that later gets uh, resolved in the Treaty of Tordesillas. And I promise you, I will butcher all of these names. If you want to see how they're spelled and what they are, you need to go to the website, historicaltimelines.blogspot.com, and you can see everything and all the sources there. That treaty was arbitrated by the Pope to clear up a previous treaty called the Treaty of Alcacovus and Tordesillas was developed to show that the Pope had complete authority over the entire world. To bring this into modern day, one of the big contentious points in modern society is colonialism if you want to see where colonialism originated it's right here the pope divided up the globe because he has complete temporal power and he initiated colonialism because with columbus discovering new land it changed what was going on you don't have to know exactly where the lines were but you do need to know this The fallout from that treaty is still relevant today. If you ever wondered why Brazil speaks Portuguese, all the rest of South America speaks Spanish. This is why. The line that was drawn went through where Brazil is today, and those people, that colony, was controlled by Portugal. So they all speak Portuguese, which is very close to Spanish, but slightly different. So Spain had the rest of South America that they were using to extract gold and send back to Europe. They used this gold from land granted to them by the Pope to build cathedrals and wage wars for the Pope. The whole Portugal and Spain thing would be taken care of when the Pope would direct Spain to take over and basically merge that into one family and one ruler and King Philip II over the course of the next few decades. So we've established the guiding hand in this process. Now let's develop the other players in the Spanish Armada. September 4th, 1517, Martin Luther nails 97 theses to a door and a church. And you're probably thinking, I thought it was 95 No, he doesn't do that until October 31st, 1517. The act of nailing the theses up on the door wasn't a bold, courageous act. It was a simple way that they used that to discuss topics in the time period. Martin Luther didn't set out to destroy the Catholic Church. He wanted to reform it. He liked what it was doing, but he had certain issues on things that were going on. The 97 Theses addressed some things, and the 95 specifically addressed indulgences, and that's where he got in trouble. What Martin Luther didn't realize was that there were two key players that were backing indulgences. The first was Pope Leo X. He was looking for money to rebuild the Vatican that we see today. So the old church was run down and couldn't even really be used to hold services. I have pictures of renders of the old St. Peter's and a short video of the new St. Peter's on the website historicaltimelines.blogspot.com. The other person who was responsible for indulgences at this time was Albert of Mans. Mans is a city in Germany, and Albert was a important guy. In the church and he was super corrupt because he bought his positions in the church to gain power and money um, how you could gain money was you sold indulgences so he would spend a lot of money to get the position and have more control and then he would impose more indulgences on the people to then recover and make more money leo x and albert got together and made a secret deal that they would have these indulgences. Leo got his cut for the basilica, and Albert got his cut for whatever he did. Indulgences were essentially bonds for the church, where people had faith that the church could either relieve themselves or relieve their family members who had already died from purgatory. So through time, as the faith in the church dropped, indulgences went from costing money to being free. Currently, you can get an indulgence on Twitter from the Catholic Church. But there's a catch, you have to follow the Pope. Luther saw this, and he saw what was going on in the Church. He didn't want to take away the Church or destroy the Church, uh, and his 95 Theses wasn't a big, bold move, as we discussed earlier. Uh, The 95 Theses was more of a forum for debate, where you nailed it to the church door to debate it. And basically he was saying, "Uh, these are my ideas. And does anyone have any counter arguments we can talk about and discuss? So essentially Luther was the original louder with Crowder. You know, how he does those little signs and he says, I believe in this, change my mind. That's what Luther was doing. He was just having a debate. Hey, these are the things, how can we make the church better? What Luther didn't know was the height of the corruption behind indulgences that he was preaching out against. Luther assumed the corruption around indulgences was local because what people would do to collect them, priests would go out and they would preach about burning in hell and fire and brimstone and all other stuff. And then they would say, hey, you can avoid that. Put some money in. Luther saw that and he was against that. And essentially, the Reformation came about because of the church's reaction to what Luther was doing as innocently... As he was doing it you have to remember the two keys on the Vatican's flag they are a gold and a silver key one is temporal power the other is spiritual power and the church as they divide up the globe they also sold their version of the afterlife this is the key moment where the Spanish Armada grows from Protestant Reformation creates a divide in the world and From here on, you'll see the Vatican will continue to use these wedge issues to create turmoil and then gain the upper hand and form the future how they want it. April 22nd, 1529, the Treaty of Zaragoza will further divide the world between Spain and Portugal. Then, in 1533, Henry VIII of England issues the Statute and Restraint of Appeals. From there, Henry will separate himself from the Catholic Church and create his own church in England. He won't create a purely Protestant church. He'll create a hybrid Catholic-Protestant church to where he doesn't have to answer to the Pope, but he will still have some of the concepts where the king is the ruler of the church and the hierarchy the Catholic Church had. Um, He will keep those but then he'll just be able to do whatever he wants without having to answer to anyone. You will also see the continuation of the Catholic-Protestant pull in his two daughters, Mary and Elizabeth I, after he dies. September 27, 1540, Ignatius of Loyola starts the Society of Jesus, or the Jesuits, after being injured by a cannonball in 1521. His injury leads him to a vision, which leads him to start the Jesuits. To start off, Ignatius has some issues. In 1518, he sees the sister of Charles V, Catherine of Austria. She's 11 years old, and he is dead set on marrying her because he just fell in love with her. Sort of like love at first sight, but she's 11. At this time, he's in his mid-20s. When he gets injured in the battle by the cannonball in 1521, he can't win her, so he decides to devote himself to celibacy, the church becoming a priest and devotes himself to a powerful force that he makes contact with through a very odd ritual he does in a cave after his injury ignatius got deep into mysticism all because he could not marry this 11 year old girl the pope approves of the order and he says that he wants the Jesuits to carry out the complete annihilation of Protestantism. The Jesuits then become the military arm of the Catholic Church, led by what they call the Superior General. July 25th, 1554, King Philip II, Catholic, becomes King of England because he marries Queen Mary, who is also a Catholic she is the daughter of Henry VIII. There was a stipulation in the marriage that said King Philip II would only be king of England if he was married to a rightful heir from England. So if on November 17, 1558, Queen Mary were to die, then King Philip II would lose access to the crown. And that happens. When Queen Mary She was also known as Bloody Mary because of all the Protestants she killed for being Protestant. When she dies, Philip is no longer king. If he marries another queen of England, then he can be king again and unite the papal power. The next queen available is Elizabeth I. She's a Protestant. King Philip II proposes to her and she declines him. In 1566, the Eighty Years' War breaks out. This is also called the Dutch Revolution. This is going to put the Dutch as antagonist against Spain. The Dutch would be Protestant. In 1570, John Hawkins will build the first English race-built galleon. The race-built galleon was a modern-designed ship that was faster and more maneuverable than the traditional ship the Spanish would be using. The first ship would be called the Foresight, which is kind of ironic because their foresight in this design is going to help them take over the water in the future. February 25th, 1570, Pope Sixtus V. excommunicates Queen Elizabeth I with Argnanas in Excelsius. This is an act so that King Philip can wage a crusade against her. Remember at the beginning, I told you that this Spanish Armada was actually a crusade. The excommunication will allow Catholics to attempt to assassinate a ruler. Because if you aren't a part of the church, the only thing you can do is die. June 2nd, 1571, the Rodolfi Plot. The Pope pushes Philip II to take out Queen Elizabeth I. Philip supports a plan to assassinate Elizabeth I and replace her with Duke of Norfolk and Mary, Queen of Scots. They call it the Rodolfi plot because the person who came up with the plan was called Roberto di Rodolfi. Rodolfi would have a Catholic bishop named John Leslie to convince Norfolk and Mary to agree to the conspiracy. The conspiracy will ultimately fail... And the Duke of Norfolk will be executed. Throughout history, you're going to see the Pope continuously use other people to do his killing and be the bad guy in situations. This happened in the past with the Inquisitions. The Pope always got the state to kill the people it showed to be heretics. And in this situation, he's going to excommunicate Queen Elizabeth in order so other Catholics can assassinate her. And this isn't an isolated event. It happened before in the Inquisitions, it happened here, and it continues to happen throughout history. And yes, I mean modern history. You can look at today, you have the current Pope. He was based in Argentina, and when he was elected, there was a big uproar about him being elected because he was involved in what they called the Dirty Wars, and... He himself was implicated in plots to kill anyone who didn't agree with what the church said. That included other Catholic priests. And that was going on in the 1980s. August 22, 1572, Gaspard II de Caligny. He was a prominent Huguenot. He was shot twice in the street while celebrating a wedding. He would be killed two days later during the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre while recovering from his injuries on the 22nd. August 23rd and 24th, 1572, the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre where Catholics murder Huguenots throughout the city just because of their religion. And this is an interesting piece of history because the Catholics armed themselves because they were afraid of retaliation for the attack on Caligny. In order to prevent an imaginary attack, the Catholics decided to close the city gates, tell everyone they're going to murder all the Huguenots, and then at the bell toll at midnight, go through and start killing everyone. And for two days, they would just kill people indiscriminately. Men, women, and children. And what do you think? pope gregory x i i i had to say about it he thought it was such a great thing that he commissioned paintings that still hang in the vatican today and medals to commemorate the event he also said it was quote-unquote divine retribution september 26 1580 sir francis drake of england completes his voyage circumnavigating the globe after raiding Spanish gold ships along the coast of South America. So what happened here was he was raiding Spanish gold galleons that were extracting gold from South America and shipping it back to Spain. He raided those ships, then they caught on to what he was doing. So they sent a fleet out to go get him. Well, when they went to go get him, he's like, well, I can't go back that way. So I'm just going to go the other way. Um, Now remember circumnavigating the globe at this point, wasn't something the English had ever done. So he was the first Englishman to circumnavigate because he was running away with a ton of treasure. And all of that extracted gold was going back to Europe, specifically Spain, and it was being used to build the elaborate golden portions of the cathedrals that were built around that time period. Tons and tons of gold were pulled out of the Americas, sent back to Europe, and turned into large pagan altars in the cathedrals of Europe today. March 18th, 1582, a Catholic named Juan de Uyaregi attempts to assassinate William of Orange by shooting him in the head. It's a good plan, shoot someone in the head, they die. In this situation, the bullet went under his right ear and out of his left jaw. William would would recover, but he would be unable to speak. They would then change his name to William the Silent. Uyaregi was convinced by a Catholic named Gaspar de Anastro that he would be protected by magical and religious trinkets he carried. The plan was that he would go in there, shoot him, turn invisible, and then walk right out. He went in there, he shot him, he didn't turn invisible, and he was killed. I don't know if he thought he was Predator or Klingon, but it didn't work. October 15th, 1582... All Catholic countries adopt the Gregorian calendar that we use today. On October 5th, the date jumped forward overnight, 10 days to the 15th. In 1583, a man named John Somerville was discovered to be plotting to kill Queen Elizabeth I. He was caught, and he later hung himself in prison before he could be executed. July 10th, 1584, a Jesuit named Balthazar Gerard assassinates William of Orange for being a traitor to the Catholic Church. This is the same guy who before had the Predator come after him and his cloaking device in Newark. Now he's actually killed. On the website, you can see bullet holes where the two bullets went through him and hit the wall. This was such a big deal that Philip II sent a personal letter to the Gerard family after the assassination. December 31st, 1584, the Treaty of Joinville was signed by Spain and the Catholic League the treaty would commit Spain to use the money it gained in the Americas with all the gold and everything to finance the war against the Protestants in Europe once again we have the Pope using someone else to do his dirty work and even pay for it 1585 the Anglo-Spanish war starts This is the official start of the war between English and Spanish. It won't end until 1604. June 7th, 1585, Roanoke, the first English colony in the New World is founded. August 19th, 1585, the Treaty of Nonsuch was signed between the English and the Dutch in response to the Treaty of Joinville. So what we have here is we have the battle lines being established The Jesuits have already killed William of Orange, the leader of the Dutch Revolution, and they've already backed attempts on Queen Elizabeth. They have declared formal war. They've established a treaty with other Catholics to attack the English and the Dutch. Now, the English and the Dutch are aligning together to push back against the Catholic forces, which are primarily Spain and Portugal. July 7th, 1586, the Babington plot is attempted via coded letter where Catholic Mary, Queen of Scots, issues a command to kill Elizabeth I. You might remember her name from the Rodolphy plot in 1571 where her co-conspirator to take power was executed. She was not. In this plot, Sir Francis of Walsingham, had developed a counter-spy network, and he basically entrapped Mary to where he could get rid of her so there would not be a claim to the English throne. Walsingham used a man named Thomas Philippes to decode the message. And just to clear up any confusion, Mary here is the Mary Queen of Scots. She is not Queen Mary or Bloody Mary that died earlier and was sister to Queen Elizabeth. This is a different Mary and she would finally be executed for her role in the plot. April 19th, 1587, Sir Francis Drake leads the Raid of Cadiz, supported by Walsingham. Drake captures or destroys 130 ships. This extremely successful raid of a Spanish port pushes back the Spanish Armada by a year. A year later, the Spanish Armada would only have 130 ships. Also, around this time period, Fox's Book of Martyrs becomes a bestseller in England because basically the Inquisition was coming to England. So everyone was looking at Fox's Book of Martyrs to see what the Catholic Church had done in the past to see what would possibly be done to them in the future. February 9th, 1588, Marquis of Santa Cruz dies. He was leading the efforts to build the Spanish Armada. And Philip II appoints the 7th Duke of Medina Sidonia to be the new admiral. Now this guy, the new guy, had no naval experience and he did not want the position. He tried to get out of it by writing a letter. Members of the king's court got the letter, wrote him back and said, hey, we didn't give this letter to the king because if you don't take this position, you're pretty much a dead man. A few days later, Medinia Sidonia was on his way to take over the Armada. You have to sort of understand the relationship between the king and the people with titles at the time. They were people with titles because the king allowed it, so at any time the king wanted to remove them from their position, he could easily do that and put someone else there. So when the king called on you to do something, you pretty much had to do it, or you would lose everything. The Raid of Cadiz did create a big problem, though, because it set the armada back so far. They had to scramble to get things like cannons and ships. They were impressing anything and everything they could in order to get back to where they were so they could leave because the Pope was pressuring the king, and the king was pressuring the people doing the work to get the armada moving because he wanted the assault to take place in England. Later on, after finding shipwrecks, we would discover how important the Rita Cadiz was to crippling the Armada, primarily concerning their cannons and their ammo. Through the centuries, experts put forth many theories as to why the Armada failed. In 1967, the argument gains new life when archaeologists discover the first of eight Armada wreck sites off the coast of Ireland. What they find among the remains of the Santa Maria de la Rosa surprises them. The first armada wreck we found didn't have any cannons on it at all. But what we were really surprised to find was this large heap of cannonballs, because all the historians had told us that the reason the armada failed, or one of the reasons the armada failed, was that they ran out of shot. It is several years before Dr. Colin Martin uncovers the next piece in the puzzle, intact cannons. A few of the giant guns exhibit dire manufacturing defects, making them prone to explode. But all are plagued by one common problem. Dr. Martin finds that each of the hodgepodge of cannons requires a unique ball size, a terribly confusing and inefficient system when wired in the heat of battle. The problems that the Spaniards had in getting the right shot to the right guns on board the right ships was absolutely enormous, and the reality seems to have been there was muddle on a gigantic scale and that most of the ships actually had cannonballs of the wrong size for the cannons they had on board. May 28, 1588, the Spanish Armada set sail for England. Before leaving, Pope Sixtus V. allowed Philip II to collect crusade taxes. Philip II, according to personal letters, was deluded in thinking that he was doing God's work by working for the Pope. Also, if we remember, I called this a crusade at the beginning. It's the Spanish Armada and the last crusade. If the Pope allows you to collect crusade taxes, that affirms that this is a crusade. And what essentially is a crusade? A crusade is the Catholic Church going to reclaim lands lost to non-Catholics. Well, when Queen Elizabeth took the throne, she turned the country from Catholic to Protestant. So Spain going there was going to retake England and put it under Catholic control once again. They would also be instituting an inquisition. So no one was safe. My lords, I can offer you no words of comfort. This armada that sails against us carries in its bowels the Inquisition. God forbid it succeeds, for then there will be no more liberty in England, of conscience or of thought. We cannot be defeated. July 19th, 1588, Spanish Armada is spotted off the coast of England. Why did it take them almost three weeks? Because they're moving extremely slow. The Armada's entire goal isn't just to go to England. They have to go to the Duke of Parma and Calais, pick up the invasion force, and then transport them across the English Channel to England. If they land one group on England... King Philip will get a lot of money for his troubles. What could go wrong? July 21st, 1588, after being stuck in their port because of tides, the English ships begin harassing the Spanish with cannon fire from outside of the range of the Spanish. July 27th, 1588, the Spanish armada anchors off the coast of Calais, waiting for the 30,000-man invasion army. The problem here is there's no port, so they can't go up to the army pick them up and then go out they have to wait off the coast and the army has to get rowboats paddle to them load up and then they have to cross the english channel the problem here is the dutch are in the area they have shallower boats they can go in between the spanish and the duke of parma's force and they can intercept these rowboats two the invasion force isn't ready and three the English are on the outside attacking the ships as they're sitting there. So with the invasion force not being ready, the Spanish armada will anchor and wait over the night. Now they know the simple tactic here is for the English to send fire ships at them. So they're waiting for that. And it comes as night falls, the English send fire ships into the armada. The armada is unable to catch all the fire ships the rest of the ships have to cut anchor they don't have time to pull their anchors up a cut anchor which means they have no way of stopping if there's a problem here again these anchors they are cutting are going to prove to be a huge problem in the future july 30th 1588 the armada gets into battle order and what appears to have been the english plan was to delay the Spanish Armada. They knew they couldn't really do a lot of damage because at this point, all the firing they have done has not sank or incapacitated any ships. In fact, over the entire ordeal, the English won't sink any ships. They will only capture five. The key here is the strategic moves England is making in delaying them a year back in their port attacking them with fire ships they have to cut their anchors and then harassing them and slowing them down so they cannot make the tide at certain points to get close enough to pick up the invasion force at other points. At this point the armada realizes it will be unable to link up with the invasion force so it decides to go back home. Now they can't go back the way they came because the English are behind them constantly harassing them so they decide which is a really bad idea To go north and go around England and then come back down to Spain. September 1588. Now remember, over the entire ordeal, the English will only capture five ships. But Spain would lose between 30 and 70 ships to shipwrecks or scuttling by going around England and hitting storm after storm. And not having any anchors to save themselves from being swept across the rocks. Of the coast of Scotland and Ireland. By October of 1588, Spain would have lost 20,000 dead and up to 70 ships, primarily to shipwreck and storm. December 25th, 1588, 6,000 English sailors defending England died mostly because of disease and starvation on their ships because the Queen, Queen Elizabeth I, failed to pay and supply them. Only a hundred died from engagements with the Spanish. Meanwhile, the queen was celebrating, quote-unquote, her victory. 1590, Pope Sixtus V. issues the Vulgate and states it is the only true translation of the Bible. It's not even close to the original. 1598, Henry IV, a Protestant of France, France is largely Catholic, issues the Edict of Nantes, This will give Huguenots their civil rights back, which had been taken away because they weren't Catholic. It also hoped to stop a situation like the Massacre of Vassy in 1562, where the French army went through and murdered hundreds of Huguenots for no reason, other than they weren't Catholic. March 23rd, 1603, Queen Elizabeth I dies and is succeeded by King James I. This is the King James of the King James version of the Bible. So be looking for that. June 24th, 1604, the treason of priest was set to kidnap King James I and hold him until he gave Catholics the terms they wanted in England. The reason here is the Catholics in England were treated poorly because of the constant attempts on the queen's life and the possible Inquisition that was coming, and the Crusade from King Philip the Armada. Queen Elizabeth did also kill a lot of Jesuits that she found, but the Jesuits are the military arm of the Catholic Church, but in general, it was a bad time to be Catholic in England. Then we have it, remember, remember, the 5th of November, 1605, the gunpowder plot was discovered, the plot was planned out by a Jesuit priest named Henry Garnett. The plot was an attempt to put gunpowder under the House of Lords, blow it up, and kill King James and whatever other lords were in there in order to install King James's daughter, Elizabeth, on the throne because she was a Catholic. The plot fails. We have the whole Guy Fawkes mask thing. And he was not a good guy. He was a bad guy. He was trying to kill the king. For many years after, on the 5th of November, in England, they would celebrate that day by burning an effigy of the Pope. Because they knew where these orders originated. This was what the Pope wanted. He wanted a Catholic ruler on the throne in England. In 1609, Jesuits developed a communist testbed called the Jesuit Reductions. The Jesuits would use strong-arm tactics and resource control to subdue natives of modern-day Paraguay. The Jesuits invented communism. It wasn't Marx. It wasn't Lenin. It was the Jesuits. Marx and Lenin would later carry it out in Russia, but this is where it was created and tested. The Jesuits would use slave labor in Paraguay to create items, then ship them back to Europe, sell them, and then use the money to further the Jesuit plans. In 1610, Protestant King Henry IV is killed by a Jesuit named Ravelic. Remember, he had the Edict of Nantes that gave Huguenots in France civil rights. He is now assassinated by a Jesuit. Jesuits are the military arm of the Catholic Church. They excel in assassination attempts of whoever the Catholic Church does not like. In 1611, the King James Version of the Bible is produced under the guidance of King James I. Then, in 1615, the Catholic Church starts suppressing Galileo over his heliocentric ideas. Over this 200-year period, you can see how aggressive the Catholic Church became, especially near the end here. The Jesuits come into their role of assassins, and they take every opportunity to kill a leader in order to change the outcome of global events. Over the next 100 years, the Jesuits would get so aggressive that they would end up being dissolved by the Pope himself, and they would even end up killing him, all to control and unify Europe, which they have never been able to do. The Church, Rome, no power has ever been able to unify Europe, and that is their goal. You cannot explain European history without showing the hidden hand of the Pope, or the Catholic Church, the Vatican, however you want to say it, showing their hidden hand, guiding, killing, murdering, causing wars, all throughout European history. It's there every time. And that's why I like to show you the why, because what leads up to an event and then what happens after is really telling as to the purpose of the event. We all learn about the Spanish Armada, the date it happened, but we don't know the real motivation behind it until you see what they're doing. This is all the Pope establishing his power on earth. I hope you enjoyed this historical timeline.